Michigan. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for your word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And Father, I pray that faith be implanted and imparted this morning. Faith that brings hope and springs up a well. Lord, that brings joy. In Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I want to speak to you bits and pieces and things that, you know, it's funny when, you, when you've been in the ministry for 30 years and, you know, it's not a, it's just, it's one of those fact things that, you know, after you've had prepared for a few sermons and a few things here and there and read other person's sermons and listened to a few sermons that pretty soon you're able to just preach a sermon without any notes. But it's always been a practice of mine to keep special notes, but I find myself going off them all the time, you know. And when I was younger, I, I always struggled. I said, Lord, what is it you want to speak this morning? And I've learned to just let him, let him go in me where he wants to go. I always have this prayer with the Lord. Lord, you're leading this dance. This dance is yours, Lord. You lead. If you, any of you here, maybe a few of you are on my Facebook followings that you, uh, um, I, I, have this, I have this theme of my life and I made a statement of it this past week and, it's, and it goes something like this. When I was younger, I placed all of my confidence in my ability to follow him. I did. And now that I'm older, I place all my confidence in his ability to lead me. And I have found the Lord <laughs> to be really good at that. And so I want to speak to you about this leading thing. Because in the natural and in the carnal, in the old Adam-like nature, there is an anti to the Lord's leading. And it's this, this word called reluctance. Reluctance means simply this, unwilling. Unwillingness. It is the antithesis of obedience. It is the ugly part of discipleship. Do we have disciples among us this morning? Oh, if you follow Jesus, you are a disciple. Yes. And the older I get, the more I realize what that meaning is all about. And there's, there is the verse where, where the Lord says he, he selected his disciples that they would be with him. Be with him. Not be against him. Be with him. And I find that reluctance is a vicious, evil thing inside of me that says, no, Lord, I, I really don't want to right now. And I put it off. Oh, reluctance can surface itself in its own ugly, quiet little way, this thing called procrastination. My wife says, you are such a procrastinator. And I feel like sometimes just telling it's because I don't want to. <laughs> I do the things I want to do right now. Really good at it. Back in the mid-80s, before we had gone down the road of traveling ministries, where we went to Petoskey Assembly of God, and we, 
we had a little home right next to the church, and, and I, I mean little, you know, back before tiny houses were the in thing, before tiny houses were cool, right, you know, we lived in them, and this was one of them. It was so small you had to go outside to change your mind. It was small. And we had two teenage boys that were foster sons. And the Lord spoke to me three different occasions and said, when are you going to go down this path of taking foster kids in? It's because he had two boys in mind that he wanted to place with us. And there was no way that was going to happen until we did. So we went through the... We went through all of the red tape, which was very, very little back then in those days. Probate has gotten so complicated. We had a foster home before foster homes even existed. 1986. And we took two young men in, and one of them, one of them was Mr. I call him Mr. Reluctance because even today he's that way. And, and we would tell him, clean your room, okay? Or they had a little bedroom. The boys had a bedroom off of the off of the little tiny living room. The living room was big enough for, for a couch, a chair, and a TV set. And that was about it, you know, in our stereo. And, and I'll tell you, it was very, very small. And, and if their bedroom door was open, you could see how ugly it was in there. And we'd tell them, want you to clean this bedroom while we are gone. So it was during the summertime. We went somewhere. We had someone there with them, you know, to watch them, care for them for a little bit. And, uh, and then when we came home, we asked them just... We, we asked Jeffrey, Jeff, did you clean your room? He says, oh, you know what? He, well, first thing, when we came home, he was mowing the lawn. This is an important lesson. He was mowing the lawn. Is that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. He needed mowing. I appreciated the help. We had a big yard, and we only had a push mower in those days, and he was pushing He's up and down. He was mowing the yard, big smile on his face and waving like crazy. And, and we went into the house, and first thing my wife did was look to the left to see the door open, underwear, dirty socks, all over the place. The bedroom hadn't been touched. What was the one thing we asked him to do while we were gone? Clean his room. Reluctance is disobedience quietly and on the installment program. We saw it. It was ugly. But I'm mowing the lawn. Didn't you want me to do that? He would do everything but what he was asked to do. Oh, he was good at doing good things. But the one thing he was asked to do, he did not do. Was that pleasing to us? No. He couldn't understand that, and so we had to spell it out to him. Now let's go over to kingdom matters. Would you look with me at Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 13? We're going to look at the first five verses for the time being. This is the story of Samson. We all think Samson, big, strong guy, you know, like the stand, stand power team, you know, breaking baseball bats, ripping phone books. And, and I can still do all that, and I'm not really big. You just learn how to do certain things. Samson was not all that big. Uh, he he was just had a lot of long hair. Okay, Samson was a very individual character, wasn't he? Was there another one in the Bible like him? No. Should there be another one like him? No. I can say that because I don't see signs of that 
anywhere. Now look at this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What were the Israelites doing? Say it, evil. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Was that a good thing? No. A certain man named Zorah, of Zorah, named Manoah. Okay, Manoah lived in Zorah. You don't have to remember that, but it's not really a necessary thing. But there are a lot of names here. But one thing I want you to, to take note of is, first of all, that Samson's mother, her name is not listed here. It's just, there are unusual little tiny points of information and lack of information in the story of Samson that all lead up to a very individual story. He says, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Oh boy. Now you can imagine the joy and the happiness, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get me further verses? Thank you. Now see to it that you drink. Okay, here we go. See to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, a couple things of note here. A Nazarite is not a place. A Nazarite is one who has made a vow to God. This is not where Jesus came from. Jesus from Nazareth. A uh, Nazarite is not someone who's from Nazareth. A Nazarite, if you look at the spelling, there's, there's a little I in there, and you've done your studies on, on old, in Old Testament matters that there's a certain thing called a Nazarite vow. Are you with me on that? You know what a Nazarite, Nazarite vow? Very, very, very special thing. Now, the special thing about, about Samson, you've got to know that something very special happens when the angel of the Lord appears. When you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you know who the angel of the Lord is? It's the pre-incarnate Son of God. That's Jesus before he was the Christ. That is Jesus before he was Emmanuel. Jesus is the creator. All things were made by him. There's nothing made that was not made by him. We are told this in the word of God. And Jesus is also the word of God. Isn't that wonderful? His name is wonderful. And if you read further in the story, you'll find out that that Manoah says, what is your name? And he says, why do you ask me my name? My name is wonderful. Far too wonderful for you. That's Jesus. And so we have to know that, first of all, a very, 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 very special occasion about this child is that, the, that first of all, that she's barren and she's going to have a child, but it's also foretold by the, by the pre-incarnate Son of God, the angel of the Lord. I hope this isn't new to you. I have no fear of repeating something that has been repeated or preached on a hundred million times or you just read. I love doing that. This is an Old Testament story by which we are all made familiar 
in our early days and even in childhood, amen? But do know this. There's very special things about, about Samson I want to point out to you, and it has to do with this thing called reluctance. First of all, the call of God on Samson's life was made before he was born. I mean, so much so that the parents had to raise him a certain way. Now, I realize that all of us are, are knit together in the womb. The Lord knew us before we were born. He knew us before we were in the womb that he's got a call on our lives before we're even born. I know that, but my mom and dad were not visited by an angel. My mom and dad were not told to raise me a certain way because I was going to be a man of God or because there's a special call in my life. None of that happened. And when I see that happening, especially in the Old Testament, I know there's something very special about Samson. It had nothing to do with his strength. It was who he was personally. He was to be raised in a certain way that would set him apart unto God. The Nazarite vow was all about being set apart unto God. Now you and I can live a life of do's and don'ts. And it can become a legalism to us. It can be about a performance that we do just because. Maybe we want to look good in the community. Maybe we want to have a a status of being a good person. Oh man, as a preacher, I wish everybody would every now and then think about living a life so the preacher wouldn't have to lie at his funeral. You know? But that can become bondage when we until we realize that we are set apart unto God and not to be conformed to the ways of this world and the things of this world. We are not to be pressed into that. We, you and I also have a likeness in our righteousness and in our holiness that we are set apart unto God in a Nazarite fashion. The Nazarite vow was serious stuff. And later on we find out that Nazarite vow, that part of it where where finally his hair was cut and his strength left him. The strength was not in his hair. And I submit to you that Samson was blind long before they gouged his eyes out. Mm -hmm. Faith is our eyesight, people. We walk by faith and not by sight. You can have more faith. You can boost your faith. You can build your faith. You can step into more faith. Faith is the one way to battle reluctance. Faith is how you battle unwillingness. When God asks you to do something, sometimes we are halt to enter into it. I am so grateful that God is patient. (laughs) Oh, you don't know reluctance. You don't know reluctance until you've seen my life and heard a few things. You don't know reluctance. I didn't want to go into pastoring. It's not my primary calling in life. The Lord told me what my primary calling in life was. I didn't want to pastor. I saw what pastors go through. I was called to be a man of God. Another gifting, another office calling, but it wasn't pastoring. Though he placed me in pastoring for 30 years, doesn't make me (laughs) any less reluctant when he calls me to do something. I, I at least look at it a little bit more seriously now. Let's face it, there are some things the Lord calls us to do that we don't want to do. Hmm? Oh, show me the one who says, oh, never. 
which has like that. Samson was reluctant. How do we know that Samson was reluctant? Oh, there's a certain verse here I want to talk to you about. Judges 13, verse 25. Nothing is said about contact between God and Samson prior to this. This is the verse right here that sets the tone for Samson's life in God. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. And you may look at that and say, oh, that's a geography lesson right there. No, it's not. When you begin to understand what that word stir, you see that word stir up there? You know what stir means? In the original language, it's this one word called payam. Payam means to impel, push, shove, and beat persistently. Did you catch that? Beat persistently. Shove. Boom. You've been shoved like that before? Probably not in a while. Beaten persistently by God. Why was Samson beaten persistently by God? Simply this. And you can see it in his life thereafter, this verse. And it's this. He was reluctant. He did not want to do what God called him to do. He carried the Nazarite vow around in his hip pocket, pulling it out whenever he needed it, whenever he wanted to be big man on campus with the Philistines, bust a few heads, break a few legs. I'm going to go down there and have some fun. There's nobody like me. I'm not like every other man. That part Samson loved. But there's something missing in Samson's life. All the way through his, his story of a, you know, a couple chapters here and there, a few paragraphs, a few exploits. This is what we know of Samson, but there's something very important that is missing from his life, and that is his contact, his relationship, his reaching out to God is missing. Have you noticed that? Read the story of Samson when you go home. His reluctance to be the one that God wanted him to be was yes in what he was going to do, but more so in who he was going to be. He was no Abraham. He was no Isaac. He was no prophet Samuel. Oh, Samson. Only twice is it recorded that he cried out unto God. And that word crying out unto God carries with it this note. He was desperately in need, and so he reached up for God. Are you like that? You know how frightening that is? To walk through your life not having a, a relationship as in nearness with the Lord, and then all of a sudden the devil smacks you, or you're in a need where no one else can produce the very thing that you need to survive and all of a sudden you have a need and you find yourself, oh God, only you. And I see something missing in Samson's life. Because of his reluctance, his relationship with God is weak. One time he was dehydrated, we'd call it today, and he needed to be rehydrated, you know, carries little water bottles around. We never had those when we were kids. 
swear that people around here were scared of, you know, dying of thirst or something, you know, the way they carry water bottles and, and hydrate. And, you know, you can, actually, you, you, you can actually drink water that comes out of your faucet, you know, out of a drinking fountain, you know, you, and it's free. It's free. Samson was very thirsty, and he cried out unto God because there was no water for him to drink. The Lord answered his prayer. When was the second time he cried out to God? It was after a certain haircut, wasn't it? It was after having his eyes gouged out. Can you think of anything more painful, people, than having your eyes gouged out? He survived that. And then he went into abject slavery to the point where he was a main attraction. They probably sold tickets for people to come around and watch the one who used to taunt the Israelites. One man against an army used to taunt the Israelites. And he's, he's blind and he's, he's, poor, he's grinding at a grist mill where animals usually are grinding. And he's probably walking in their manure probably has it in his hair that is growing. He probably just stinks. The degradation of life that he was living in, and it didn't have to happen. And then he cried out to God. When he was taken to a great place, he was going to be made fun of, sport of. He says, Lord, show me, place my hands, young man, place my hands on the pillars of this place. You know the story. None of that had to happen. None of it. Samson was reluctant. Reluctance is evil. How can you say that? Because it's a form of rebellion against God. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now it's funny how, how we in our up all in our, our high-mindedness at times can look and say that's witchcraft and that's that's witchcraft and that's evil, but at the same time that we would have a, a just a just a little tiny, tiny seed of of reluctance in us. It's unwillingness to do what God wants us to do. I see this. And I see it in people's lives. And I recognize it so readily because I have walked the path. Once you've walked the path a few times, you recognize the scenery, and you look at people's lives and say, don't, don't, don't go that way. What God is calling you to do, make it your focus. Release. And be released. Hallelujah. <sighs> Samson, Samson, Samson. I always looked at that one verse, verse 25, and I'd look at that and say, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And I thought, oh, I love that. I love it when the Spirit of the Lord stirs my heart. It's like, oh, I can jump up and down or sometimes I cry because the Lord is stirring me in compassion. I mean, it's having the heart of God. I mean, I look at that and then I read what it really means in the Old Testament with Samson, how he was being, how he was being responded to by God because of the way he was living his life. And he didn't stop. It just continued all the way through until finally the temple fell on him and he died with the ungodly 
died with the ungodly. I think of the things that I am reluctant to do, and they become a battleground to me. Do you have battlegrounds in your relationship with God? Have you found that they usually center around the very things that God wants you to do and you don't? Oh, it's not an outright arguing match. I mean, you still do good things like mowing the lawn for him. Hmm? Oh, my. Let me give you number one, forgiveness. Do we know how important it is that we must forgive? Jesus said this in what we call the, the grand and glorious Lord's Prayer, actually. You know, it's, it's part of the Lord's Prayer that if we do not forgive, God will not forgive us. Can you imagine, you know, if you, if you are not forgiven by God, do you know that you are, you, you are carrying the number one mark of an unbeliever? That you are carrying the number one mark of one who was a sinner? One who we would call a sinner, we would... We are carrying that number one mark because you look at people and say, you can be forgiven, you can receive the forgiveness of God and you can be forgiven, but have you told them that they also must forgive others? Now there's a battle for you. Huh? I want to give you a story. I've seen too much. Sometimes I wish I lived a simpler life. I've seen too much. It's been glorious. It's been good. God... God, forgive me if someone might think I'm complaining, but there's one man, there's one man in my seeing much in ministry, there's one man that I'm thinking of, and I, and I couldn't get him off my mind this morning, and, and there's one man who, who is facing death right now. Long ago, long ago, he was, he was telling me that he, I've known him for a long time, okay? You don't try to think of names here. But just it was a long time ago. But he, he had a whole list of medications that he was on. And, and, I, and I told him, man, you don't have to be on any of this if you'll do one thing. And he said, what? I said, forgive. Well, he was born again. He loved to sing the praises of the Lord. But the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. Oh, <laughs> this was a doozy. And I looked at him and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do before we meet again. This is what I want you to do because he's coming to me for some counsel. I mean, to the point of making appointments, you know. I said, okay, when you go to the doctor, he's going to tell you how to get well. I said, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to make a list of everyone that has offended you and hurt you. He had like 20 different names on that list. Do you know that that was a trick question that I sent him to do? Do you see the trick in that? That was one of those little things where, you know, Nathan the prophet comes out, thou art the man, you know, the story about David, you know. It was one of those things that the Lord, the Lord set up a tripping trap so he would see how badly the unforgiveness was in his life. And I told him, I said, when you get off, when you, when you begin to release these and never again hold an account against them, 
you will find, and I spoke this boldly, and I said, you will find that your medications for your health and your well-being will begin to be not needed. In fact, you will have reactions to your body because you're on them and you don't need them. I told him, I said, you need to work on this list. And when you come back to me next week, I want to see less and less names. There should have been no one on that list. Not that anyone would ever have not offended him, but to the point where you and I can get to that place to where we can't make a list because no one's offended us. Do you hear me? The number one thing that we are reluctant in is releasing people from the bondage of our, oh, they did this to me. Uh. Hmm? Because you walk in the unforgiveness of God. What happens when you walk in the unforgiveness of God? Curses. Curses. I don't want to make light of this, people. Say, I'm not under the curse. I'm under the blessings. But yet you have unforgiveness in your heart towards certain people. You should not have a list. You should not remember them in an offense. You should not. Let them go. I've had, oh, I've had this battle. How do you think I can speak to you about it? I've experienced this, I know. Let them go. Because curses are awaiting you if you don't. That's serious business. So did he have a happy ending? No. No. We came down to a point of four people on that list. I didn't ask him who was on that list or what they did because that would only make it worse. And I'd be walking in agreement with him and helping fester the ugly, stinking wounds that he was carrying around with him. Okay, this is a number of years ago. Today, he is riddled in every sort of sickness and illness, and he's not in his right mind. I had to cut my relationship with him because he was not in his right mind. It was to the point where he was not acting as a brother anymore. I didn't cut him off in some kind of meanness. It just, I did not want to be called demonic names anymore. I won't let him sin that way. There's certain things that I don't do, and I don't let people sin around me. I don't let him get away with it. And that was the meaning of my cutting him loose. Is he still alive? I don't know. but it was pretty bad. He was crippled in a wheelchair. Why? The very time I told him to make a list and let it go, which he did not do because of reluctance. He was walking in curses, and he had curses placed upon him. Did God put them there? No, he did. Read the parables. The ones who will not forgive are thrown to the tormentors. Doesn't have to be that way. Don't be reluctant. Be willing 
God, I want to, I want to, I want, I want to forgive. I want to just cut them loose. I, if anyone ever would ask you to make a list of those that have offended you, you should say, well, I don't even know where to start. Because I, I don't even know if I could, if I, if I could even write it down. It shouldn't even be there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Well, it's not that they had never done anything. I'm saying it's as if they had never done anything. You can walk in that. You can be cut free from that. And live a holy, righteous life before God. Step number one in fighting in fighting reluctance, number one, is right there. The reason why we are reluctant one way or another is because, is because somehow we have not yet come to the point of lordship. I know a lot of people who say they are Christians, but Jesus is not their Lord. I see it in their lifestyle. They cuss, they swear, they drink like... It's like they see no problem in it, but oh, they want to tell people that they're Christian. Okay? Are you serving God? Probably not. So I hope my being around them might lift them up a little bit. At the same time, I'm going, God, would you poke that firebrand in their backside every now and then? Come on. Sometimes I want to grab people and yank them up instead of lift them up. And that's not good either. But I I mean, there are people that we are surrounded with. Social media, downtown, at work. And they're filled with reluctance. Are you? I pray the Lord would, would dig around in that a little bit. Because if we're reluctant, it means we're unwilling. And it means that we are unfaithful stewards. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen. Got that one, Larry? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now here's the big one: you are not your own; you were bought with a price. You are not your own; you were bought with a price. Before I met Jesus, I loved being independent. My wife and I got married when we were young and foolish. She was young and I was foolish. She was 18, I was 20, and we had people around us going, they're, not, they're, they're whispering, you know, in, in not-so-quiet places sometimes, whispering, they're not going to make it. I don't give them two years. They're not going to make it. They won't make it the first year. Glory to God. Were they ever wrong? But I gave them plenty of ammunition to think that way. Because I was headstrong, I was independent, and so is my wife. We got married, we bought a nice little place, we sold it within six months, took the money, and ran to Arizona. We did pretty good. I did pretty good on my own. I'll just flat tell you, I did really good on my own. But then I came to a point of making a mess out of it, and I saw Jesus. My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. If someone buys you, it makes you a slave. Does that bother you? 
it bothers me because sometimes I don't act like one. And that bothers me. I'm a slave to righteousness, the Bible says. I'm a slave to him. And I know that over the past 10 years, there's been a revolting against that major thought and theme by a certain group of people who, who believe that the, the fatherhood of God takes that away. No, that's Scripture. Don't you ignore that for a moment. God is God. God is good. And he's a good father. But he's also a perfect and righteous judge. He is able to pay back that which we have done. It's an immutable principle of God. What you sow, you will also reap. So plant good things. Think good things. Say good things. And do good things. But don't be reluctant. Because your life is not your own. How, how, can, we, how can we just in a quick little nutshell, just really quick here, give you some hope not to walk in that? <laughs> okay. I was reluctant in a couple areas with the Lord. I was fearful of taking a risk. Yet the Lord put a gift in me at an early age. It's a marvelous testimony, really. I saw Jesus when I was four years old. Four years old. I saw him. I saw his face in the sky, in the clouds. I was four years old, and I was walking to a friend's house in the backyard on a beautiful spring day. I'll never forget the day. Blue sky, whiter than white clouds, and I saw him, and I just stood there. And I knew two things. Number one, I was a sinner. And number two, I needed a Savior. Four years old. That's pretty heavy, revy stuff for a little four-year-old boy, but the truth of the matter is, a child can receive that quicker than what an adult can. That's all. I was on a pretty good first-name basis with him when I was four years old, but I ran from him. When I was 10 years old, I had a friend who was dying. I, to this day, I don't, I don't even know. He got into some kind of poison somehow, and he almost he died. The word had it he died three times on the operating table over at Little Travers Hospital. Remember that? Little Travers Hospital? It gives away the, the, the era. It was like 1966. 67. And my tears on the pillow were with me all night. As a 10-year-old boy, my friend, my neighborhood friend was dying. And the only thing that I knew was that Jesus could heal him. And he did. And he did. And I was part of it. And the Lord said that. If you're part of it. And in my reluctance, I ran from God. And then I got saved, called into ministry, and whew, whirlwind. Pastoring our first church together as senior pastors, we had had 11 years as staff pastors, youth pastors, small churches, medium churches, big churches. Some of the big churches were a lot of fun, big youth groups, had a blast. But then came time to be a real pastor. You know, everybody said, you're a real pastor now. I said, oh, yeah, right, okay. Real pastor. Doing the very thing I told the Lord I didn't want to do, and I was doing it because I was being obedient. 
Lord, simple obedience. I'm going to do this because you said it, Lord. And then I read where Paul told Timothy, Pastor God's flock, not because you have to, but because you want to. Thank you, Lord, for that word. And then I began to seriously pray in my first church. Nine people died in the first year. A church of 35, 40, all old people, you know, older, 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 you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and they were dying, and I'd pray for them, and they'd die, and it's like, God, I don't want to lay hands on people anymore. Lord, this isn't right. I've done nine funerals in my first year, and I've never done one before this. And I, and I was not quiet in my prayers with the Lord. You ever get to that point? God! God, where are you? Your word says that you are a healer. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Lord, that's one of your promises in Mark 16. Where? Oh, I was so, so, so troubled. Ah, 1994. I remember it well. It was on a Saturday. Saturday was going to be my day off, you know, from just everything in the church and all that stuff. I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the YMCA down the street, and I was, I was lifting heavy weights. I just, I love to lift heavy weights. Heavy as opposed to light. Light means you can do them a lot. You know, curls are light curls when you can do 20 or 30 of them. Heavy curls, you can only do about five because they're heavy. That's heavy lifting. Had a good workout in our little tiny, tiny, big YMCA, small weight room. Okay, where's your priorities, folks? Small weight room, you know, big YMCA. And I come across, we're downstairs, there's a hallway, and you can see clearly down the hallway on a Saturday, there's nobody down there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There's nobody in the hallway ever. There's hardly anybody working out down there ever. And so I didn't think it strange at all when I stepped out of the weight room and I was going to take three steps across the narrow corridor into the locker room, get my stuff and just go. I walked out of the weight room and here was a man sitting in a chair right next to the doorway and I just kind of in passing looked down at him. And I said, hey, how you doing? And he had a hand on his knee and he goes, my knee hurts. Okay, so I'm a little dull sometimes. No, I'm dull a lot. That's what the Lord said to his disciples. Are you so dull? You know, today we call it not the sharpest knife in the drawer. That's me. There's some things I'm not sharp to. And a lot of times it's a function of my old personality and the way I was brought up if I want to lay blame to it. But the trouble is, I didn't have the compassion of Jesus in my heart. And, you know, if you're going to ask the Lord to give you an extra anointing on the gift of healing, you can't have that. You've got to have the passion of Jesus in your heart. I didn't have it. I had his anointing, but I didn't have that, that compassion for the hurt. Yes, sounds strange, but it was true. <laughs> I walked right on by him and just didn't even think of it. And I got into the locker room and it's like, oh God. God. And I said, oh Lord, I'm so ashamed. I could not, I mean, I was not in the locker room for 10 seconds. 
Just that quick, I turned around, and he was gone. I looked up the hallway, I looked way down, I mean, a long hallway. Somebody with a sore knee wouldn't be able to move that quickly. But oh, stupid me, you know, not too sharp. i got to run and check all the rooms, check all the hallways. Nobody anywhere, and to this day I can still see him. He had burgundy sweatpants on. He says, my knee hurts, and he's looking at me, my knee hurts. was an angel. Guilty as charged. Oh, be careful what you ask for. God has not handled me with kid gloves. When the Lord spoke to me, and he says, you are reluctant. I said, yes, I am. God, it hurts. I don't know what to do about it. He says, when you're ready to lay hands on the sick, out on the streets, in the schools, in the grocery store, at the gas station, then you'll be ready to lay hands on the sick in the hospitals. But not until then. But the outcome has been glorious. The outcome has been glorious. I've enjoyed it. But you know what the number one, you know what the number one safety net is that we don't fall into reluctance? Are you ready for this? Oh, it's really simple. Obedience. And the risk factor. We just aren't willing to take a risk. We are reluctant to take a risk. Don't you know that everything we do in Christ that would blow our minds away, you know, it's like, oh God, I would love to do this and I'd like to see you do this and the things that I pray for, God, for you to perform these miracles. Do you know that it's going to involve a risk? Yes! I had to learn that the hard way. Okay, let's talk about risks for a moment. There is a parable of the talents in the Bible where a man was not willing to take a risk and he was called wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. A parable that Jesus was talking about where a guy was given five, five let's say he was given five coins. No, no, no. Five gifts of the Holy Spirit. Another man was given two gifts. I'm... I'm I'm bending this around to our thinking here for a moment. Another man was given two gifts of the Holy Spirit. Another man was given one gift of the Holy Spirit. The guy who had the five gifts, he's out there moving in the things of God. He's moving in the things of God. In the Bible it says that he made those five talents work. And what did he get back? He got five talents, didn't he? Whew. And then the man with two talents, see, he got two talents back. He's out there moving in God. You know, he's doing the things that he ought to do in God. And, and he's taking the risks involved with getting two talents back. He's, the man with five was do, taking huge risks to get something back. You and I have been given gifts. You and I have been given anointing. You and I have been given power, and it's going to take a risk to make that work. A risk. 
What if I'm wrong? What if I look stupid? Well, that's going to be really dumb. Nonsense! It's what God thinks. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Yeah, I've had to do some... You want to know some stupid things? You were here while I pastored for seven years. There's some things I did that if somebody saw me doing this, I'm going to get a call on Monday. (laughs) And I did. But you know what? God was pleased, and the outcome was glorious. Yeah! Yeah! That's what pastoring is like everywhere. Everywhere. The man with one talent. The man with one gift. What did he do? He buried it. And not only did he bury it, he had a grand excuse for doing so, didn't he? Well, I knew that you were a real hard man, and if I lost this one thing, you know, bottom line, he was reluctant and didn't want to take a risk. He said, you should have just put it in a bank, and then I'd at least have interest on it. Reluctance. Unwillingness to take a risk. Do you know that without faith it's impossible to please God? Each of us has faith. We've been given that, huh? Faith isn't what you believe for in terms of material possessions like, you know, new cars, new houses, new boats, new jobs, new this, new that, bigger, better. Faith is involved more, more in who you are in Christ. Your walk with Him and being obedient to Him and doing what God wants you to do. And that you are just sick of doing something that might be displeasing to Him. I want to see more of that. I cry out to God, God, where is their conviction? Would to God we would live holy lives, righteous lives. We live in a land of unclean lips, is what Isaiah said. Isaiah 6, was it? He said, said, Lord, I live in a land of unclean lips, and I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe unto me. I am undone. That's conviction, huh? The reason why we don't have conviction of the Holy Spirit is because we are not before the face of God often enough to know what the difference is with our speech, with our conduct, and with our unwillingness. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? you're worth it. Lord, we sing songs of worship that you are worth it. You're worth it, Lord. You are worthy. Father, I pray as we go out of here today that we would do more than sing, but that we would live a worth it life. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Father, I pray a blessing over each one. I extend a priestly blessing that when they walk out of here, 
joy be upon them. Joy be their portion this week. Lord, it's Christmas week. Jesus, that our minds would be bent on joy and love and peace and be waiting for your return. You're coming back. Thank you, Jesus. We live very noisy lives. <laughs> it's good to have quiet, amen? It's good to have quiet together. Go in his peace. Go in his goodness. Go in great faith that he's going to perform that which he said he was going to do in your life. And don't be reluctant in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go.